This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to the show, everybody. How's everybody doing? Uh, we have an awesome show today. I have a plan for you that I'm going to lay out in just a minute. Um, it's now or never, dog. It is now or never for the left to get some real, tangible victories. Um, so I have a message for the squad. I'm going to lead with that story. Then I have uh, The View actually defends Bernie and bashes Biden's deflated bill. We'll talk about that. Bernie also held the line again and rejected Biden to his face when it came to uh, potentially delinking the traditional infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. Manchin had one of the dumbest demands I've ever heard in my life in the negotiation. We'll talk about that. Kirsten Sinema was protested at a wedding. John Stewart destroys the Treasury Secretary and former Fed Chair Janet Yellen. Um, and I got a lot of other stuff, too, including I got some bad news on the workers' rights front, and I have some good news on the workers' rights front. We'll talk about that. And um, the Supreme Court, this story is incredible. The Supreme Court may block the EPA from regulating carbon emissions, which is absolute insanity 
and will put us on the path to disaster even more so than we are right now, which is really saying a lot because we are thoroughly on the path to disaster right now. So, mm. without ado, let's go ahead and get started, and I'm going to jump into that with my message to the squad. So this is the week, everybody. It all comes down to this week when it comes to the reconciliation bill and the traditional infrastructure bill. I have a message for the squad. I have a message for the squad. And um, it's now or never. It's now or never. I'm going to get to the specifics of my message in a minute. But before I do, I have to update you on what's going on behind the scenes, what was left in the bill, and what was stripped out of the bill. And uh, frankly, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. So I told you guys from the beginning, from the very beginning, when we got uh, the details of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, I told you the way that the reconciliation process works, when they unveiled that bill, it still had to go through a bunch of committees. So we all knew there were going to be changes to it from then. Um, but I told you guys, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have red lines. So my red lines were uh, no climate stuff, no deal. It has to be absolute minimum of $2 trillion, and it has to have no means testing. Those were my absolute bare minimums uh, in order to vote for this bill. And if it doesn't meet that threshold, I'd have no problem voting it down with a smile on my face. So the most recent changes are now um, universal child care, gone. This was one of the main things they were selling this bill based on, and now it's gone. Now it's stripped out. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Is this the stuff that was stripped out? Hold on. Hold on. Wait. What happened to the list? Hold on. I've got to find a new article. This one is not putting it properly. What was stripped out of the BBB bill. I don't want to do it from memory because I'm going to fuck it up if I do it from memory. So I want to make sure... What made it in into the Build Back Better bill? Here we go. NPR article might be okay. And, of course, it's not. Motherfucker. The bill that I had pulled up did not have the list that it originally had. It looks like they changed it. Sorry, y'all. This is a little bit annoying, but they changed the list. Oh, Vox. Vox usually does a fantastic job. Got it. What they'll keep in the bill. Got it. Okay. Thank you, Vox. 
for saving the day. It's it's crazy that like not every article doesn't just have like a bullet point thing. All right, so let me just start the segment over because. Oh, I was right. Paid family leave was left out. That fucking NBC article is terrible. Okay. All right, let me just start that over. So this is the week, ladies and gentlemen. This is the week that it all comes down to when it comes to the traditional infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. Um, And I have a message for the squad. My message is it's now or never. The fight is now or never. If we don't get left-wing priorities in the bill, which, by the way, I shouldn't even call it left-wing priorities because the polls show these are just the priorities of the American people, um, we're not going to get it for at least a decade, probably two decades, because the Democrats are likely going to get wiped out in the midterms, and who knows what happens in the next presidential election. Who knows when we'll even get, you know, a center-left president again. It looks like all the people who are in the running to be the next Democratic president would be centrist at best. Really, they're just right-wing Democrats. So if we don't force some stuff in now, we are beyond screwed. And I think the people in the squad know this. So I have a message for them. I have a plan for them. But before I get to that, I have to give you an update on what went on uh, with the negotiation behind the scenes. So from the beginning, I said, when we learned about the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, I told you guys, This isn't the end of the process because it still has to go through reconciliation. And in the reconciliation process, the bill goes through these committees, and they strip out stuff, and they add little things here and there. And so I told you the final result is not going to be $3.5 trillion. Um, But that doesn't mean we don't have red lines. We should have red lines. And I told you guys my personal take on the red lines was very simple. No climate, no deal. Absolutely no means testing in the bill. And a bare, bare minimum of $2 trillion. If it fails on any of those prongs, I'm out. I vote no. That's the end of the conversation. Um, It did fail. Because right now we're talking about a $1.75 trillion bill, and um, a lot of the best provisions were stripped. So what was left out? Paid family leave. Gone. They just cut that out. Even though that was one of the primary things that they were using to sell the bill. Doesn't matter. Mansion and Cinema caused us to think about it, and now that's gone. Medicare negotiation of drug prices, gone. Lower drug prices, gone. Even though that's over 80% popular in the country, the number one issue in the country, and Democrats ran on it as far back as 2006, that's been stripped out. Why? Because of the influence of big pharma money uh, on our politicians, namely Kirsten Sinema and some others. Um, Now that's being stripped out. It's just rank corruption and legalized bribery that led us to that point. How about this? Expanded Medicare coverage of dental and vision is out. So they kept in the hearing portion, but dental and vision, for some reason, your teeth and your eyes are not considered part of your body, and so they're stripping that out. Free community college, gone. Gone. An increase in the top corporate tax rate, gone. An increase in the top marginal income tax rate, gone. And now at the last minute, they were talking about a billionaire tax to come in and save the day because they said, oh, mansion, uh, or excuse me, cinema doesn't support these other ways of raising taxes on the wealthy, so maybe we can get her to support a billionaire's tax. Well, guess what? Manchin steps in and says, that's divisive. I don't want to do it. So they say the bill has to get paid for, but you can't raise taxes for the top marginal income tax rate. 
You can't raise it for corporations, and you can't raise it for billionaires, which means what? All that's left is to raise taxes on working people. Now, thankfully, this bill doesn't raise taxes on working people, uh, but then it's just, you know, not paid for. So then they might turn around and say, well, I can't vote for it based on that alone. So we don't even really have an ironclad deal yet. But the framework that has been laid out is $1.75 trillion, and they stripped out all the punitive stuff on climate change. So in other words, there's nothing that, you know, pushes back against uh, the fossil fuel industry at all. It's just more like credits for um, renewable energy type stuff. And again, no raising taxes on the wealthy, and some of the most popular provisions have been stripped out. So what's left in the bill? Uh, It's not much. It's not much. But what we have is $555 billion for the climate. Again, none of it is punitive towards the fossil fuel industry. It's all for, you know, renewable uh, energy programs. Universal pre-K is still in there. Child care subsidies are still in there. So that's probably the best thing that was left in. And universal pre-K is is six years, which is, I think, the longest of any program in the bill. Again, that that would be the best part of what's left in in this package. Um, Child care subsidies, as I said, the expanded child tax credit went from 10 years originally to five years, and now they have it just for one year, the expanded child tax credit. Um, And then you have uh, ACA expansion, so Obamacare expansion, to give some more people health care. There's $165 billion that goes towards that. There's some stuff for housing in there. There's some stuff for uh, elder care, so long-term home care. And there's a little bit for immigration, $100 billion for immigration. But that's pretty much it. That's the gist of what these negotiations have come down to. Now, the left has stood up one more time, and we'll get to a story on this later, where Pelosi and Biden were now saying, okay, we can de-link the bills now. Let's just vote on the traditional infrastructure bill while Biden's over in Rome. Um, The left stood their ground one more time and said, no, we weren't bluffing. These two bills go together or they don't go at all. So on that front, they stood their ground and said, see, we're fighting. We're keeping these two linked because we know the reconciliation bill won't pass um, if you de-link it from the traditional infrastructure bill. Okay. But we got the terrible news the other day. The Congressional Progressive Caucus released a statement that said, effectively, even though we're going to hold the line and not de-link the bills, we are endorsing the entire framework of the new outline. So in other words, $1.75 trillion? Okay. Stripping out all those amazing things that I just laid out for you. So namely... Stripping out paid family leave. Okay. Stripping out Medicare negotiation for lower drug prices. Okay. Stripping out Medicare expansion of dental and vision. Okay. Stripping out free community college. Okay. Stripping out tax hikes on billionaires. Okay. Now, here's my message to the squad. There's only one way out of this. I told you guys from the beginning. Uh, if it drops below $2 trillion, I'm out. If there's any means testing, I'm out. If there's no climate stuff, I'm out. So this bill fails the basic, uh, is it over $2 trillion test? It fails on that front. So I would vote no with a smile on my face. Now, I thought perhaps their red lines would be somewhere where my red lines are. It looks like, at least for the Congressional Progressive Caucus, that's not the case. And you're going to get a lot of progressives defecting and voting for a $1.75 trillion bill when it comes time to vote on it. So the Congressional Progressive Caucus, however many there were who were going to, you know, fight on this front, 60 or so, let's say, you just lost a bunch of them. So then all that's left is, and we don't know what they're going to do, is basically the Justice Democrats. 
basically the left flank of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Now, Bernie's actually a question mark, too, because apparently Bernie's big red lines are Medicare expansion. So he might say, I'm not voting for this thing if it doesn't have the full package of a Medicare expansion. So dental vision and hearing. Hearing's in the bill, um, and the other two are out of the bill. So he might vote no. But my message to the left in Congress is this. It might not feel like it, but you have Joe Biden exactly where you want him. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. There's one way out of this where everybody can be happy, and it's this. You tell Joe Biden, this fails my most basic test. It's not over $2 trillion. But if you want my vote, there's something you could do. Here's a list of executive order demands. If you do these, you get my vote. If you don't do these, I'll vote it down with a smile on my face. So in other words, you say to Joe Biden, I will vote for the $1 or $1.5 trillion traditional infrastructure bill and for your terrible, shredded, watered-down $1.75 trillion reconciliation bill. I'll vote for it, even though it's a piece of trash, if you break out that executive order pen, free every single nonviolent drug offender, change weed from a Schedule One substance to a Schedule Five substance, effectively legalizing it, but definitely decriminalizing it. And there's no question Joe Biden has the ability to do all this stuff. And you abolish all of the $1.73 trillion in student loan debt in this country. Now, you should probably even go further. Don't just have a list of three demands. You should have a list of like eight or ten demands. Because even if you give them the list of ten demands, there's probably going to be some horse trading. Say, oh, I can't do that one. Oh, that one goes too far. But I'll do these three for you or I'll do these four for you. So, uh, you know, what else should you ask for? There's a bunch of stuff that's in the purview of the president. He has immense powers. So you could ask for, for example, um, pardon Julian Assange, pardon Stephen Donziger, allow Edward Snowden to come back home. These are, things, these are potential things that could be on the list. The other thing you could do is use the provision of Obamacare that allows the president in emergency situations to expand health care to say, I'm expanding health care to all Americans for all bills as it pertains to COVID-19. Here's another idea. But at the very least, you hand him a list that says, free every single nonviolent drug offender, every single federal nonviolent drug offender, so basically everybody you can who's in there for a bullshit reason, change weed from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 5, and abolish all $1.73 trillion in student loan debt. And again, these things that I listed here, there's no question, legally speaking, whether or not Joe Biden has the ability to do it. He has the ability to do it. He just doesn't want to do it. 1965 Higher Education Act, I believe, is the name of the bill that gives the Secretary of Education the ability to wipe all that debt clean. Uh, Joe Biden's already done it for about $6 billion worth. Uh, even Trump did it for some specific student loans, I think when it came to veterans or something like that, or disabled veterans or something like that. You can do it. So you give Joe Biden this list. You say, this is the only way to earn my vote. And then guess what? Joe Biden is faced with a decision. His decision is, watch my entire agenda go down in flames. My entire agenda go down in flames. Or just sign some executive orders, and then I get both my traditional infrastructure bill and the watered-down $1.75 trillion reconciliation bill. And then everybody wins. So how many would you need in order to get this done? In theory, you only need three or four 
Congress people on the left to get this done. That's it. Now, they should be able to get 10 or 15 who have the balls and are willing to fight enough to get this done, but you and I both know the likelihood that that happens. So this is it, guys. It's now or never. If you don't get Joe Biden to do more than just these two watered-down bills, you could say goodbye to any real left-wing priorities for the country, populist priorities for the country, for at least a decade or two. Because I just explained to you how Democrats are probably going to lose the midterms. It's a you know, toss-up as to who the hell is going to win in the future. And when is the next time we're going to have control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency? And then even when we get to that point, is there going to be a, mansion in the, a different mansion in the future, future, a different cinema in the future, the rotating villain, as it's called? Probably. So ultimately, I don't want you to look at this like, oh, my God, we're screwed. No, this is an opportunity. But it's all on you. So this is a message directly to Ro Khanna, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Mark Pocan, Pramila Jayapal, um, anybody who fancies themselves actually on the left. It doesn't take that many of you to stand up and have the courage to do this. But if you do this, now here's, here's the part of the conversation that would explain their mindset and why they might not do it. Because I think they're scared of two things. Number one, um, getting backlash from their colleagues and having leadership despise them. And number two, getting backlash from the media and having the media despise them and portray them as the villain. And they would portray them as like helping the Republicans, which is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Because if Biden does this, this might be the only Hail Mary pass he has to save the Democrats' ass, potentially for the midterms and for the next presidential election. But you're going to get a whole bunch of crap from various corporate interests, whether it's the leadership in your own party or it's the media. You're going to get a bunch of crap. And so they would be afraid to do it because they don't want to stick out like a sore thumb and they don't want to be the bad guy or the bad girl. But my question for them is, is there not a single hero among you? Is there not a single person with a backbone among you? Because like I said, it's now or never. And in reality, assuming that the $1.75 trillion on paper, the deal's ready and good to go, you have Biden exactly where you want him. Because guess what? Let's say you demand six or seven executive orders in a meeting with him. It's either his whole agenda goes down in flames or he signs those executive orders along with the bills. So he's going to sign the bill. And he's going to sign some of the executive orders, but that's the point. Because behind the scenes, you might have demanded six or seven. Maybe he gives you two of them. Maybe he gives you two of them. Maybe he says, okay, I'll pardon and commute the sentences, the sentences of every federal nonviolent drug offender. And maybe he says, student loans, fine, I got to do it. You twisted my arm. Or maybe he says, I won't, I can't, I'm not going to do all of it, but I'll do $50,000 worth. In which case, you can take the deal and then turn around and tell everybody on the left, I got everything I could out of this guy, everything I could. But if you don't horse trade executive orders, then you're failing miserably. You're failing miserably. So do you have the fight in you? You have Biden exactly where you want him. Are you going to be too scared of the media being mean to you and your colleague being mean to you that you're going to fold? Now, time and time again, they've let us down. I remember when the original force to vote debate was going on, 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's main argument against it was, this is such a long shot. We have nowhere near the numbers. Why would we waste our time? We need to keep our powder dry for a fight that we can win, like on the $15 minimum wage. Then the fight came up for the $15 minimum wage, and they didn't do dick to fight to get that passed. So you want to redeem yourself? Now's the time to redeem yourself. Guys, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for you. For the love of God, be our heroes. For the love of God, do the right thing. And remember, if you decide to do it, and the media is dunking on you, and the Democratic leadership is dunking on you, you're a congressperson. You're phenomenally powerful. You can respond. You can respond aggressively. You can go out there and call a press conference and state the obvious. We are the only ones fighting for the American people. We're the only ones. Over 60% of the country wants to legalize marijuana. We're the ones who are fighting for that. We're fighting for democracy. We're fighting for the will of the people. Student loan debt is holding back an entire generation. It's a phenomenally popular issue. We're the only ones fighting for you on that front. Washington is broken and they don't represent you. We are trying to take the power back for the people. So the media can come after us as much as they want. They can lie and say we're in league with the Republicans. They can say we're obstructionists. They are wrong. We are right. And we're going to get this passed. What? In the long run, you'll be viewed as heroes. In the long run, you'll be viewed as the real left Tea Party that actually materially delivered for the American people. Because, oh, Biden will buckle and sign some executive orders. Can I promise you if you demand seven, he'll give you seven? No. Can I promise you if you demand seven, he'll give you maybe two? Yeah, I can. Because he's not going to let his entire agenda go down in flames. But you should be willing to. Take a hostage and be willing to shoot the hostage. It's the only way we're going to win. It's the only way we're going to win. So there's your plan. It's laid out in front of you. Now, you could do the plan and be heroes in the long run, or you could fall in line behind all the other corrupt sheep and do nothing and get this weaselly watered-down package through, and you can be part of the problem. It's up to you. Again, I'm rooting for you. I genuinely want them to do the right thing. I genuinely show people that electoral politics matters and that you can make a real difference. That's the way that you do it. This plan is the way you do it. If Biden doesn't sign some of these executive orders, I'd vote that bill down with a smile on my face. And I would say, it's not on me, dog. It's on Joe Biden. He didn't want to sign those executive orders and carry out the will of the American people. So you want to blame anybody? Blame him. That's how you do this moving forward. Get to work. Okay. Let's go to the view. Ah! Where's my fucking... God damn it. All right, hold on one second, y'all. Okay, sorry about that. To my surprise, 
The View had a conversation about this new watered-down reconciliation package. Just to give you the rundown real quick, again, here's what was cut from the bill. Paid family leave, Medicare negotiation of lower drug prices, expanded Medicare coverage of dental and vision. Hearing made it in, dental and vision did not. Um, Free community college is gone. Higher corporate tax rate is gone, and higher billionaire taxes are gone. So uh, the bill was shredded a thousand different ways. All that's left in the bill, $555 billion for climate, nothing punitive against the fossil fuel industry. It's all uh, money for renewable energy stuff. Universal pre-K made it. Child care made it. Uh, expanded child tax credit for a year made it. Um, ACA expansion made it. That's more health care. And housing made it. Virtually everything else, elder care made it as well. But the bill w- went from... 10 trillion is what progressives wanted, then 6 trillion was what Biden wanted, and then 3.5 trillion was the compromise, and now 1.75 trillion is the final thing. Well, guess what? To my surprise, the ladies on The View are not happy about this, and they very clearly take Bernie's side over Biden's side. Issues that made it into the bill are child care subsidies and universal pre-K. $100 billion for immigration reform and the biggest climate change initiative in American history. That also still falls short of what progressives were asking for. But among the cuts are the things that everybody wanted. Paid family leave, prescription drug reform, and the so-called billionaire's tax. It is still got to go through all kinds of changes. Congress, but how happy are you with, with any of this? I don't like this um, and Medicare expansion to cover dental and vision is cut out. Yeah. It's like as if the eyes and teeth of old people are not part of the body. <laughs> We're all going to go like this, you know? Yeah. It's not, I don't get that. I, mean, I don't even understand why health, uh, health insurance doesn't include eyes and glasses and hearing and it's like, are we disembodied from our these things? Yeah. And then the other thing that bothers me, and I'm sure everybody would agree with this, the uh, paid family leave. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to be the party of families. Obviously, the Republican Party doesn't give a, a, a rat's patootie about the families, or they would be behind bills like this, but they're not. So all you have are the Democrats, and the Democrats are now falling short because of Manchin and Cinema. I understand. Am I right about that? Yeah, you are right about that. I mean, listen, it's something. It's more than I think we had before. One of the things that I was um, happy about was that elder care and home care funding for, for our seniors is included in the bill. And as someone who, you know. That's good. Yeah. I thought that was really important. They'll be toothless and blind. They're, they're going to be toothless and blind, yeah. But at least they'll, they'll have that care. Because as someone who, you know, had the means to take care of my grandmother, right. I know how very expensive it, it is to have a home yeah. health care aide to come to your home. Yep. Even Nursing homes are extremely expensive, and most families just can't afford but it. This is this should be a right. Yeah, they've paid taxes all their lives. Of course, you know, of course. they have paid into the system. You know, and now they say, well, I don't know how much money there's going to be for uh, Social Security. Well, I don't know how much. Well, what, what, could you stop taking our money and doing stuff with and leave a little for us? Yeah. Yeah. We should be taking care of our most vulnerable, and those are our children and our elders, yeah. and we're not doing that. Um, so it's, it's really – look, I think, I think there's a lot of things um, to be sorry about that are not included mm-hmm. so, and that got cut off. So for me, it pains my heart that three uh, community colleges yeah. got cut off because yeah. – 
I know so many people who got their start in life in, in community colleges, and it is the education is the way out. It's the ticket out. It's the ticket to opportunity that America provides, and a lot of people need the help when it comes to community That's colleges. That's why we're not getting it. Yeah, I'm pretty there's a deal, and it's, it's, it's better than we were before. Yeah. I'm really disappointed in the, the paid family leave. That was something that I just, again, think it's a great equalizer. There are so many people that just can't afford to take that time off when they have uh, new family members or bereavement. Um, but the part that I just can't get past, which just so clearly speaks to the money in D.C. and the problems we have, are the, the prescription drug pricing. Who cannot agree that we should allow them to negotiate a better rate? And the only explanation here, I don't need to go to D.C. and find out, is there is money going in pockets right now. And that is the only reason. And speaking of that, uh, Cinema received more than $750,000 in donations from the pharmaceutical and medical device industries. And Big Pharma's uh, explanation for why now is not the time mm -hmm. uh, is with their efforts to swiftly develop vaccines, this isn't the time to regulate us. But right now we're talking about Medicare being able to get fair prices on prescription. And the other thing I can't get on, I don't understand, mm -hmm. is this pushback on a billionaire tax. Right. This is, a, as you said, 700 people in the country. There's 700 billionaires. You take a, a fraction of a percentage, and they could solve problems in this country, and we're protecting them as we don't want to have yeah, for success. It would be nice, They're beyond successful. Well, it would be nice that successful. instead of spending billions going to space, maybe we would spend it, those billionaires could spend it on Earth to get equal opportunities to a country that gave them the opportunity yeah. to become billionaires. And I, I remember when Warren Buffett famously said, mm -hmm. I should not be in a lower tax bracket than my secretary. Yeah. They went full, Bernie is right, this uh, negotiation shredded the bill. That's where they went. None of these, to my knowledge, none of them are reporters, none of them are journalists, none of them have a political science degree, none of them have followed in great detail the ins and outs of the legalized bribery and the corruption in Washington, D.C., but they were able to piece it together. The American people are able to piece this together better than any host on CNN, better than any host on MSNBC, better than any of the hosts on the major networks, whose job is to cover this just the horse race aspect of it and to pretend like it's WWE. So now we're at a place where this bill, a Bernie aide said this recently, this bill is much more likely to be defined by what's left out of it instead of what's in it. That's an absolute policy disaster and a political disaster for the Democrats. So listen, I told you, there's only one way out of this where everybody wins. The one where you do the principled thing and it is what it is, is if you're the left flank, you gotta vote this bill down. It's under $2 trillion. It was stripped to the high heavens. There's no punitive stuff on climate for the fossil fuel industry. Some of the best provisions were left out. If you're on the left, you vote no if it's just these two bills as they stand right now. Over an over $1 trillion uh, infrastructure bill and a $1.75 trillion reconciliation bill. Got to vote it down. But there's one way out of this where everybody wins. Just as I described previously, the left should, all you need is like three or four brave Congress people on the left to go to Biden and say, I'm voting against this, unless you sign this list of executive orders. 
And again, the executive orders, you should make a lot of demands because then there will still probably be negotiation and it will get whittled down behind the scenes. But some of the potential executive orders can be free every single nonviolent drug offender, um, change marijuana from a Schedule One drug to a Schedule Five drug, effectively legalizing it, uh, abolish all $1.73 trillion of student loan debt, pardon Julian Assange, pardon uh, Stephen Donziger, um, allow Edward Snowden to come home. These are just some of the ideas. Biden has the ability, if he so uh, decided to, under a provision of Obamacare, do an executive order that expands health care for emergency reasons. He could technically do health care for everybody in the country because of COVID, like that. Now, we know he's not going to do that because he has a true objection to it. But at the very least, you could say, sign an executive order that takes care of all the bills for everybody who's in the hospital for anything COVID-related. They could do that. There's so much you can do. You should give Biden a list of eight or ten executive orders and say, we know you have the authority to do all this. The only way you get my vote for these two watered-down shredded bills is if you also do these things. And if you don't do these things, it ain't on me, dog. It's on you. And I'm going to vote against it with a smile on my face. Go ahead. Point at me and be the bad guy, but I'll be the correct bad guy. And what Biden wouldn't even understand is the left would be helping you if they did that. Do you want to have any chance in the midterms? Do you want to have any chance in the next presidential election? If you want to have any chance, I'm helping you by telling you to do these good executive orders. It would be a massive help. In fact, it's the only sort of Hail Mary pass that might make it so that you don't get obliterated in the next presidential election or the Democrats don't get obliterated in the next presidential election. The ladies on The View are able to piece it together more than any major news network. And that tells me that the American people probably feel the same way. Even if you're tangentially following this in a very disconnected way, the main sentiment is the bill gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and you're going to get blamed for that, rightfully so, negotiating against yourself. And don't give me this, oh, well, what could he have done? Imagine the cinema or making, it's their fault. In part, it's their fault. But I know damn well Joe Biden didn't threaten Manchin's family with prosecution over the EpiPen scandal and the price gouging scandal, which he could do. They could go to prison. I'd have Merrick Garland looking into that right the hell now, scare Joe Manchin into voting for the bill and say, listen, if you don't vote for it, we come after you. We prosecute you. If you do vote for it, then we won't. And you could have a position in my administration. You could have another military base in West Virginia. You could have more infrastructure money, whatever you want. I could be your best friend or your worst enemy. He didn't do those tactics. He didn't pull an LBJ or an FDR, and we know that. So here, here's where we are now. The view is basically defending Bernie and bashing Biden and his deflated bill. That says a lot. Okay, next. So with the negotiation still continuing behind the scenes on the uh, reconciliation bill, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden tried a last-minute maneuver to flex their power 
to get the left to fall in line and de-link the reconciliation bill from the traditional infrastructure bill. And guess what? Bernie refused and said, we've been clear every step of the way. We're not bluffing. Take a look. Throughout this process, Senator Bernie Sanders, a campaign rival from 2020, but a longtime colleague in the Senate, has been a friend and ally. Senator Sanders has made a ton of compromises along the way here as they negotiated this plan. But what the White House wanted most of all is for Sanders to go to the progressives in the House today and say, eat your peace. The president needs you to vote on this infrastructure bill. Then, might take a couple weeks, but then we will work out the other details. Listen to Bernie Sanders moments ago. I want your, what your view on the significance of this when Bernie Sanders says, maybe not. Members of the House, in my view, are going to have to have an insurance. What we have said is all of you know uh, from day one that both of these bills are limited. Uh, I support the infrastructure bill, uh, but I want to see uh, a strong build back better bill as well. And they're linked together. So if you don't want to see it, the infrastructure bill pass and then not have uh, the kind of build back better bill that we need. And that's why you need 50 members uh, on board before uh, there should be a vote, in my view, uh, in the House. David Italian, the president wanted his friend Bernie Sanders to say, back the president. Bernie Sanders is saying, be skeptical, not until Manchin and Cinema sign. Yeah, I mean, those critical words there at the end of what Sanders just said, you know, uh, b before, there should not be a vote before there is a bill. So credit where it's due, Bernie is holding the line, the left in the House is holding the line, but I will say this, but I will say this, they're only holding the line in so far as you keep the bills linked together. That's it. They're not holding the line in any other serious sense. And what I mean by that is the Congressional Progressive Caucus released a statement saying they endorsed the framework of the negotiated bill, namely $1.75 trillion? Sure. But it's got to go hand in hand with the traditional infrastructure bill because they know that if just the traditional infrastructure bill gets a vote, which is what Pelosi and Biden wanted, if that gets a vote now and it's not tied with the reconciliation bill, the traditional infrastructure bill would pass but the reconciliation bill would be dead in the water and they wouldn't even vote for that when it does come up. So the leverage that you have is putting the two together because a lot of the corporatists want the traditional infrastructure bill. So, okay, well, then you have to force them to vote for the reconciliation bill to get the traditional infrastructure bill. So they're holding the line in terms of keeping the bill together. What they're not holding the line on is any reasonable standards for the reconciliation bill. So, again, I reiterate, as I have in every segment so far today, um, here is what was cut out of the bill. Paid family leave was cut out of the bill. Lower drug prices was cut out of the bill. Expanded Medicare coverage of dental and vision was cut out of the bill. Hearing made it in, dental and vision was out. Free community college cut out of the bill. Uh, raising corporate taxes out of the bill. Um, the billionaire tax increase out of the bill. So those are the things that were left out. The only stuff that's left, we have $555 billion for the climate, universal pre-K is in for six years, um, expanded child tax credit is in for one year, child care is in there, um, ACA expansion, so some more health care is in there, $165 billion worth, housing $150 billion is in there, home care is in there, elder care $150 billion, and some immigration stuff is in there. That's it. That's it. So the Left wanted $10 trillion, Biden wanted $6 trillion. They negotiated a bill of $3.5 trillion. Now it's dropped under $2 trillion. So I told you from the beginning, my red line is $2 trillion. 
I want two trillion or more, that's the absolute floor, and no means testing, or I vote no, and no climate, no deal, or I vote no. So it fails the first test, which is it's under two trillion. So I would vote no with a smile on my face. The only way that they could get my vote is now you got a horse trade executive orders. You want me to vote for this shitty, watered-down, shredded piece of trash? Fine. Here are my demands. Biden needs to use the executive order pen, legalize marijuana, free every nonviolent drug offender, abolish all $1.73 trillion of student loan debt, uh, pardon Assange, list goes on and on. You can demand anything that Biden can do and is in his purview, you should demand it. And guess what? If you demand eight or ten things from him, maybe he gives you three or four. But you'll get something. But you'll get something. So the left is holding the line on keeping the bills linked. They're not holding the line on ultimately voting for a $1.75 trillion package. I would not vote for a $1.75 trillion package unless there are executive orders as well. So will any of them stand up and demand that? I think you know the answer. But we need to get them to try. You have to do it. By the way, the segment that I did on that, um, my message to the squad, I want all of you guys to tweet that at uh, AOC, Ro Khanna, Ilhan Omar, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocan, and any remotely left Congress people who are in there. Tweet that segment at them. I need them to feel pressure on this front because it's our only hope. It's now or never. It's our only hope for getting some good policies implemented before Democrats likely get wiped out. So Bernie held the line, rebuffed Biden to his face, rejected Biden to his face, but he only held the line on keeping the bills together. We'll see what happens after that. By the way, Bernie himself, apparently his big red line was the Medicare expansion. So now you're telling me hearing and vision is out? Or excuse me, dental and vision is out, but hearing is the only Medicare expansion thing that's in? So what? Uh, Dental is not part, or teeth are not part of your body. Eyes are not part of your body. Only ears are part of your body. So Bernie might even be a no vote unless that gets back in there. So we'll see. But I don't just want them to hold the line on keeping the bills together. I want them to hold the line on at least give us bare minimum wins here. And again, this wouldn't just be good from a policy perspective. It would be good from a politics perspective as well. We're trying to save Biden and the corporate Democrats from themselves effectively. So there you have it. Don't take the crumbs. You got to get more. Don't roll over like they did every other time in the past. Stand up and fight. Okay, next. So Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have been a giant thorn in the side of the Democrats, destroying this reconciliation bill a thousand different ways. What you don't understand is not only are they corrupt and they're doing the bidding of donors and industry and screwing over the American people in the process, they're also stupid. They're also just really unintelligent. And this is the best example of that I've seen so far. Look at what Joe Manchin said. So this is in a Washington Post article. Stephen Morris tweeted, Joe Manchin wanted to have work requirements for people to have paid leave from work. I am losing my mind. Here's what it says. At times, the West Virginia senator felt that a paid leave program could invite fraud likening it to those who tried to collect unemployment even when they were not eligible. In some conversations with lawmakers and advocates, he asked about work requirements, even though employment is a condition for one to take leave in the first place, some of the sources said. Joe Manchin heard about 
paid leave from work and said, we should demand that people work to get paid leave from work. By definition, people who get paid leave from work are already working. No, 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 no. The guy's a moron. The guy's a moron. You pull the string on his back and he says like three things. And, you know, uh, we should mean test this. Uh, uh, we should have work requirements. Uh, 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 I'm concerned about the debt for my grandchildren. I don't want them paying for this. Those are the three things he said. Notice, he says none of those things when it comes to voting for the endlessly bloated military budget. He says none of those things when he demanded a bailout for Goldman Sachs and big financial institutions. He had the nerve to talk about an entitlement society when it comes to basic bare minimum things for the American people, like paid family leave, for example. I don't want to create an entitlement society by giving people paid time off. But he was begging for a bailout for financial institutions. What about their entitlement society? What about the Wall Street bailouts with no strings attached to the same people who bankrupted their companies and crashed the global economy? What about them? No, it doesn't count for them because they're his real constituency because they give him money for his campaign. He's not a West Virginia Democrat. That's, what, that's his main dodge when he's called out on this stuff. I'm, I'm a West Virginia Democrat. I'm not like these other Democrats. You know what a West Virginia Democrat would be like if it actually reflected the will of people in West Virginia? A West Virginia Democrat would be massively, massively pro-union, would be in favor of a $15 minimum wage, would be in favor of um, universal health care. West Virginia has a strong labor history and union history. You would be solidly economically on the left if you're a West Virginia Democrat. Joe Manchin is not solidly economically on the left. He voted 50 or 60% of the time with Trump. He's a corporate Democrat. He serves Wall Street. He serves corporations. The only thing about a West Virginia Democrat that I would personally disagree with, and many of you would, is that, yes, socially they'd be conservative. They'd be pro-gun. They'd be anti-abortion. That reflects the sentiment from West Virginia. But economically, they'd be left. Joe Manchin is not economically left. He's one of the biggest sellouts in D.C. He's just a caricature of himself here. This is a parody. We should have work requirements for people who are working, who want to take paid leave. Bro, what? What? This is why we can't have nice things. Now, again, as I told you guys a bunch of times already, there is one way around this. There's one way around this. Okay, Joe Biden's clearly not going to fight in any serious way to get a decent reconciliation package. And the framework now is abysmal. $1.75 trillion for a reconciliation package. $1.75 trillion. So if I'm a left congressperson, okay, you want me to go along with this? Sign this list of executive orders, Joe. You can do this on your own. We'll vote for these two bills, as terrible as they are, if you sign a bunch of executive orders that I want. Legalize marijuana, free every nonviolent drug offender, abolish all student loan debt, free uh, Julian Assange. Here's our list. You don't want to do them? Okay, I'll vote it down. It is what it is. Your whole agenda goes down in flames. What do you want me to tell you? It's not on me. It's on you, dog. I told you I'd vote for it. Here are my demands. You came to every demand of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, but you're not going to for the left, when, by the way, the left is not only correct policy-wise, also politically, because it'll help you in the next election. No, you're going to cave, or your entire agenda goes down in flames. I will shoot this hostage with a smile on my face. That's got to be the message. That's got to be the message. But look what you're up against. You're up against the world's dumbest man who's cosplaying as the world's most principled man. This isn't principled. 
This is low IQ nonsense. Okay. Let me take a break. When we come back, I got a lot more for you. John Stewart destroys Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. You're not going to want to miss that. And then we have Kirsten Cinema getting protested at a wedding. And um, later on, I have a, a round of horrendous polls for Joe Biden and the Democrats. And this should really, really be a wake-up call. Stay right there, y'all. We'll be right back.
son of a bitch. All right, we're back, y'all. And we got a lot more to get to. Hell of a lot more to get to. Okay. I just had a delicious breakfast of Starburst. Because <laughs> that's how I roll. Okay, John Stewart. <clears throat> so John Stewart has this uh, new TV show that he's doing for Apple. And everything I've seen so far has been phenomenal. I think, if anything, his time away from The Daily Show made him sharpen his ideology. Um, so he's a much-needed addition to the discourse, focusing on serious issues. He spoke to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is the former Fed chair as well. She's, you know, incredibly powerful, needless to say. And, man, he really holds her feet to the fire and schools her on the issue of bailouts and so-called free market capitalism. I think the 2008 crisis is, is a great example. You know, instead of a big fire hose of money being turned on those mortgages that went underwater and brought them back to sea level. What happened? They chose to pour money into those bundles, and a lot of people lost their houses. People had every reason to feel unhappy about what happened. The purpose of intervening so that big financial institutions and markets didn't completely fail was to avoid a drying up of credit in the economy. If those financial institutions had been allowed to fail, the the toll on ordinary families would have been not only bad, which it was, but unspeakably horrendous. Mm -hmm. We would have been looking at something like the Great Depression. I think for people, they would view it as, well, if I'm going to lose my house, that's a crisis, you know, and I don't have a backstop. That's an important reason why when the pandemic struck, President Biden and um, his administration have been focused on using fiscal policy, not the Fed, mm -hmm. to get help to all those who really need it. But corporate America gets all the benefits of American stability and fiscal policy, but bears none of the responsibility. I'll give you an example. Walmart, they make billions in profits, their workers are one of the largest uh, corporate users of social service programs. Why don't Walmart workers share in the profits of Walmart? Um, you know, in a capitalist system, um, companies have a right to um, distribute profits to their shareholders. Mm -hmm. They're not forced to. There's nothing in the law that forces well, them to share there. This is the insidious part, I think, of when we talk about that we have a free market system. Because what it makes it seem like is that the natural order of things is that Walmart makes billions in profits and can distribute it to its shareholders, and that's just how it goes. But we know that we, the taxpayers, are subsidizing their workforce with food stamps. They're getting the benefit of our tax dollars. So it's, it's not free market. Damn. Damn. You know what's funny? I think that when Janet Yellen accepted an interview with Jon Stewart, in her mind she thought, oh, he's one of us. He's on my team, and so he's not going to ask me tough questions. And he did exactly that, and he really, really unmasked the system here. So let me explain a little bit more about what he's referring to. In the case of Walmart, <clears throat> so they pay uh, terrible wages, and what happens is even 
full-time workers at Walmart, they don't make enough money to survive and pay their bills. They don't make a living wage. So somebody who works full-time at Walmart needs to make up the difference and get some more money elsewhere. Now, some people work a second job. Some people work a third job. Uh, But a lot of people who work full-time at a place like Walmart, they then turn to the government and they get food stamps, so the SNAP program, uh, they get Medicaid, and they get the help of a number of different programs. Now, they need to use those programs in order to make up the difference and survive. However, John Stewart's point is, well, hold on now. If Walmart is making billions of dollars in profits and enriching their shareholders, why the hell do we not have the law make it so that Walmart must pay their employees sufficiently. They must pay them enough so they don't have to run to Medicaid and the SNAP program and other government programs in order to survive. So you could just make it so that they have to pay a living wage. You could just make it so that they have to have decent benefits. They have to offer health care. If you unionized Walmart, then workers would do much better off. But the thing is, you see what Janet Yellen is doing there. She's rationalizing for the broken system. She's explaining how, well, under our system, that's how it works, is they could set the wages as they want to set it. And, you know, she refers to it as the free market. Well, no, an actual free marketplace would be there is no effective corporate welfare subsidy for Walmart. Why are we always subsidizing big business? Why are we always giving big, big business a corporate welfare check? Because in a free marketplace, it's like, okay, if you fail, you fail. If you make it, you make it. This is, we're setting it up so they can't fail. They're always getting corporate welfare checks. ExxonMobil, they get taxpayer subsidies every year when they're one of the most profitable industries in the world. Why are we giving them taxpayer money? We are subsidizing them to do research and development. That's the rationalization. That's how it goes. They can do their own fucking research and development. They make billions of dollars to the point on bailouts. So, you know, he says, that why is it that in the 2008 crash, the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession, the government rushed in, the federal government, to bail out big business after we let one or two fail, was it Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns or something like that? Um, The federal government rushed in, and they saved the day effectively. They bailed out Wall Street. They bailed out these companies. Now, in an actual free marketplace, the companies would just fail. Sink or swim. You make it, you make it, you don't, you don't, you're on your own. That's a free marketplace. It's not free market for taxpayers to rush in and socialize the losses. And then Wall Street privatizes the profits. When they make profits, only they indulge in those profits. And when they lose money, the taxpayers rush in and save them. It's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. And Stewart's point is, you know, you could have, if you wanted to, address the crisis the other way. So instead of doing a top-down bailout, you do a bottom-up bailout. You could go in there and say, hey, we know you're, uh, you're behind on your mortgage, and we know this was a predatory, ballooning interest rate mortgage, but what we're going to do is the government is going to make you, you know, good on your mortgage, so you're going to bail out somebody at the bottom, and then we're also going to uh, renegotiate the mortgage for you so that instead of having a ballooning rate mortgage that you'll never be able to pay because they're basically a scam, we're going to do a 30-year fixed rate mortgage or whatever. You have 27 years left on your mortgage, we'll do 27 years will be left and we'll do a fixed rate mortgage that you can afford. 
you could have done a bottom-up bailout. You could have done it. They chose not to do it. Why did they choose not to do it? Because of the influence of big money on our politicians. Corporations and billionaires give money to the politicians, and so the politicians serve them before they serve any of their constituents and regular schmegular Americans. So that's why we have the system that we have. And what you get is a disgustingly corrupt outcome. You get a situation where we had a housing crisis and the government rushed in and gave a blank check to Wall Street. And then the same companies that made these terrible decisions and effectively bankrupted themselves, they get bonuses. The executives at these companies get bonuses when they were the biggest failures in the world. And then they have the nerve to turn to pay a bonus to this executive was to retain the talent. What talent? What talent? They destroyed the company. They needed taxpayers to save them. So, by the way, I'm not saying free market capitalism is not the answer, okay? Because even under a free market system, yes, it's a dog-eat-dog world. If you make it, you make it. If you don't, you don't. Um, But what we have is a system of corporatism or corporate socialism where you bail out the bad actors at the top no matter what. So no matter what, the people at the top win, and no matter what, the people at the bottom lose. But the answer is neither one of those systems. It's not a free market system, which creates far too many losers, and not because they didn't work hard enough, for example. And you don't want a corporate socialist system because that's what we live in now, and that system, you know, really picks the winners and losers and keeps, uh, you know, this an overclass of elites that can't lose no matter what. I mean, the real answer is, and you guys know this because you've watched this show for a long time, probably most of you, but you either need to set up a social democratic type system you know, more like a Norwegian system or Swedish system, which is a good hybrid of both capitalism and socialism, and it's highly regulated, and it's a welfare state, and people get their bare minimums need met, needs met, or you need to evolve beyond to something even more idealistic, like a libertarian socialist type system. Have a system with, you know, way more worker-owned co-ops, incentivize worker-owned co-ops, have a more democratic economy. Because it is hilarious how in the United States we... We sing the virtues of democracy, but it's very narrow and very limited because people only talk about it in the context of politics or political democracy and not even direct democracy or representative democracy. Political democracy is good. Economic democracy, oh my God, no, that's terrible. Don't ever do that. Why? It's the same principles. It's the exact same principles, whether it's for politics or whether it's for the economy. So if it's okay in one area, it's probably going to be decent in the other area as well. But, you know, that's never really... Uh, brought up or discussed in any serious sense, again, because of the influence of big money and because of the lack of education on this issue. But, I mean, he really schooled Janet Yellen there. There's no free market. It's not a free market. It's a totally rigged system. And the people at the top always end up winning, whether it's billionaires or giant corporations. Again, Medicaid and food stamp recipients, people work full-time at McDonald's, people work full-time at um, Walmart. There was a, a government accountability office report that came out recently uh, in what year was it, 2019 or 2020, and it said exactly what John Stewart is pointing out here, that we subsidize these companies, we give them a corporate welfare check, then they privatize the profits, and then if there's a crash, we socialize the losses. So no matter what they win, no matter what the elites get away with it, and working people get screwed time and time again. So Janet Yellen probably made a little whoopsie agreeing to that interview because John Stewart really unmasked her and Expose the entire system for what it is.
Okay. Next. So Kirsten Cinema is continuing to be one of the worst people on the planet. She uh, is destroying the reconciliation bill a thousand ways to Sunday, along with Joe Manchin, and probably along with a couple others behind the scenes who, who like to be quiet and like to take Manchin, like to let Manchin and Cinema take fire for them. So Kirsten Cinema went to a wedding. And while at the wedding, some protesters found out she was there, and they went there, and they protested her. So I'm going to show you this video here. Um, Hopefully I don't get some sort of copyright strike for this video, because it is a a cell phone video that somebody recorded, and oftentimes you post something like this, and they copyright strike you, or they jack the revenue, or whatever. But I feel like it's important, and you have to see it, which is why I'm I'm doing the segment. But you're going to see the mother of the bride basically pleading with these people, uh, hey, it's my daughter's wedding. You know, this isn't about Kirsten Cinema, whatever, all that stuff. Uh, so I want to show you the video, then I'm going to come back and discuss it. Big Pharma 
and then opposing lower drug prices. She used to run on lowering drug prices. Now she's against lowering drug prices. Disgustingly corrupt. People will die as a result of that. I'm way more outraged by that than a breach of decorum for 15 seconds, okay? So what's my grand takeaway from this story? Ultimately, I think it worked out as good as it possibly could have because the protesters were very nice and very reasonable and they stopped for the ceremony so that this, you know, girl's wedding wouldn't be ruined. Uh, and then they went right back to protesting Kirsten Cinema. And you know what? Kirsten Cinema shouldn't be able to go anywhere without this happening to her. She shouldn't. So I think all these people are heroes and I think they did the right thing. Um, so don't, it's that famous old Malcolm X quote, if you're not careful, the media will have you loving your oppressors and hating the oppressed. Same thing here. Why are they protesting? Because she's destroying the bill. Because she's corrupt. Because she's serving big pharma. Because she's taking out all these wonderful provisions. That's why they're protesting her. Because lives depend on protesting her and getting her to do the right thing. Now, by the way, my message to the mother, and she didn't do anything wrong. She, you know, she felt bad. It was her daughter's wedding. She didn't want the wedding to be ruined and all that stuff. I totally get all that. But here's what you do. You go in there and you say, hey, Kirsten, people are protesting outside because of you. I'm going to have to ask you to leave the wedding. And guess what? Kirsten Cinema is so narcissistic and selfish and vain and, and just she, every negative personal characteristic you can attribute to her, she's that. She would have actually felt that. And she would have been like, my God. So what? She fancies herself some sort of like brave maverick or whatever. Um, no, you're not a brave maverick. You're a corrupt sellout goon. That might actually get her to start rethinking what she's doing here. Now, would it change her entire, entire approach to politics? No. But if everywhere she goes, she's a pariah, you're telling me Kirsten Cinema, you know, uh, wants to be a pariah? No, she wants to be loved and she wants to be celebrated as some sort of maverick and hero in the footsteps of John McCain or whatever. And so if everywhere she went, she got this sort of energy, that has the potential to make her at least a little bit less shitty. And these people are doing what they should be doing in a democracy. Nobody should be sitting back and accepting the fact that a very powerful senator just decided to take over $900,000 from Big Pharma and kill lower drug prices. Because of her corruption, people will die. That's a fucking outrage. And guess what? These protesters are right to be outraged by it, and they're right to take action. And you know what? If sometimes you've got to step on some toes and violate civility and decorum in order to do the right thing, well, so be it. So be it. And again, I want to reiterate, because people don't tell you what happened after this. What happened after this is they listened to the distraught mother because they felt bad for the bride, and they were quiet for an hour, and then after that they went back to what they were doing. So everybody wins. Everybody wins in this scenario. The wedding wasn't ruined, and they got to continue to protest Kirsten Cinema and make her look like the corrupt, sellout asshole that she is. So more of this, more of this. Thank you to these protesters for not sitting back and just taking it, like a lot of people in the country. Thank you for standing up and fighting for our rights and fighting to save lives and fighting to, you know, hang on to the provisions that really matter. You know, they stripped out paid family leave from the reconciliation bill, lower drug prices, as we discussed, expanded Medicare coverage for dental and vision, now gone, free community college, gone, increased the top corporate tax rate, that's now gone. 
anybody who's destroying this bill, Mansion, Cinema, behind the scenes, probably Warner and some others, they shouldn't be able to go anywhere in public without getting protested. In the same way that Dick Cheney and George W. Bush shouldn't be able to go anywhere without being called war criminals. In the same way that Donald Trump should be able to go anywhere without being called a war criminal. We have to demand accountability. There's this old saying, um, I think it was from a documentary I watched, but in France, the politicians are scared of the people. In the U.S., the people are scared of the politicians. It's time to flip that dynamic, and that's what they're doing. So don't fall for the propaganda. Don't fall for the, you know, right-wing shrieking. Oh, the civility and decorum. Oh, the civility and decorum. Oh, no. Why can't you be polite? If this was a bunch of right-wingers protesting Biden, they'd be like, Yes, hero. If it was Hunter Biden was at a wedding and he was being protested by right-wingers in the same fashion, they'd be like, yes, these are American heroes. Just because it's a bunch of lefties protesting, you know, they're all of a sudden, they're, they're fake outrage. Don't be outraged by this. I told you it all worked out in the end, and these people are doing the right thing. Everywhere Kirsten Cinema goes, everywhere Joe Manchin goes, they should face accountability for their actions. Don't physically hurt them. Don't break any laws. But this is free speech. This is free protest. I support the First Amendment. I support accountability from our politicians, and you should too. All right, next, let's go to Mayor Pete selling us a shit sandwich. So President Biden's good little sycophantic foot soldiers who crave power are out there now selling us crumbs, selling us the stripped down uh, reconciliation package. Here's Mayor Pete lying on Biden's behalf. What's not in the bill, key Democratic promises uh, like paid family leave, uh, free community college, and more left on the cutting room floor. President Biden says that he is going to continue to fight, but realistically, how are you going to get those passed? if you can't do it now. Well, uh, uh, look, I'm a big believer in policies like paid family leave, so is the president. And what I would say is not only are we going to keep fighting for them, but uh, if we deliver this historic passage, uh, uh, package, if we pass that, then anything else that we try to do as an administration on the road ahead, we'll be doing from a position of even greater strength. You know, one thing that I think everybody from, uh, you know, uh, moderates looking at uh, who are coming from very uh, close districts to progressives who are eager for us to make big transformative change, one thing everybody gets is that we need to deliver. And, uh, you know, su- success begets success. Mm-hmm. But let's also be clear. Uh, I, I don't think we should describe any of this as half a loaf. This is a lot of loaves all at once. Any one of the provisions in the Build Back Better framework would on its own represent a historic achievement. Taken together, this is truly massive. I mean, I think you know, this could come to be known as, as the big deal. You know, Teddy Roosevelt had the square deal. Uh, FDR had the new deal. Getting all of these things delivered in, in one administration, in one Congress, will be a very big deal for the American people. He's just lying. There's the square deal, there's the new deal, and this is the big deal. This is the big deal? What, we spend five, six times more than this on the military every single year? Every year. You know, when they cited that $3.5 trillion number, they're talking about over a decade now we're talking about $1.75 trillion over a decade, and you're calling this the big deal? By the way, the biggest lie in there 
is this idea, well, we can get to the other stuff, but we should do this one now. Wait, you said we would get back to the $15 minimum wage for the entire country. You said it'd be in the next reconciliation package. Democrats, that's what Schumer said. It's not. It didn't make it into the next reconciliation package. You lied. If it's not getting done now, it's not getting done. There will be no revisiting this. Because, guys, this is, this is a reconciliation process. If it can't make it into this reconciliation process, why would it make it into the next one? You're going to run into the same roadblocks. So unless Biden is willing to take out the whooping stick and willing to do the character stick approach, willing to play the role of the mafia boss, it ain't getting done. And he's not doing those things. I've told you this a million times. Joe Manchin is from a crime family. His wife and his daughter did crimes. There was the EpiPen scandal, the price gouging scandal. His daughter was directly involved in that. They have her on email, dead to right, saying, how can we rationalize the jacking up of the price? Merrick Garland should be investigating her. Joe Biden could say to Joe Manchin, if you don't vote for the bill, somebody in your family is going to prison. If you do vote for the bill, nobody's going to prison. Somebody in your family can get my administration. You get another military base in West Virginia. You'll get extra infrastructure money. What do you want? I'll be your best friend or your worst enemy. You tell me. It's your choice. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. He's not doing that. And now Mayor Pete is selling the crumbs like it's the big deal. Are you kidding me? Guys, this is like the 20th time in this show alone that I did this, but what's out of the bill? No more uh, tax hike on corporations. Gone. So in other words, the Trump tax cuts stay in place. No tax hikes on billionaires. Gone. So the Trump tax uh, bill stays in place. They're signing off on the Trump tax bill by not raising taxes on the wealthy. Free community college, gone. That was one of the best provisions in there. Expanded Medicaid coverage of dental and vision is gone. Um, Lower drug prices is gone. Over 80% of the public supports that, and it's gone because of corruption. Paid family leave is now gone. That was one of the key selling points that Jen Psaki would go out there and use it to sell this bill. Now that's gone. And you're going to – Mayor Pete is pissing on you and saying it's raining. That's what he's doing. This is the big deal. This isn't a big deal. This is peanuts. So, guys, listen, understand something. Because some might watch this segment and say, Kyle's too much of a hardliner. He doesn't even understand how Washington works. No, I told you from the beginning. Yes, the $3.5 trillion bill uh, was the deal at the beginning of the reconciliation process. I'm the one who told you it's not going to be $3.5 trillion ultimately. But we need to find a reasonable compromise. So my bare minimum lines were $2 trillion no means testing, and no climate, no deal. It failed the first one. It's under $2 trillion. So I'm not out here denying that there's a a process in Washington and denying that a negotiation happens. I'm the one who is telling everybody about that from day one. The question is, is the compromise reasonable? And the answer is, not even close. Not even close. So of course you should vote no if you're on the left. And don't buy this nonsense where they're selling you crumbs. Again, the only way out of this where everybody would win is if I'm a left congressperson, I go to Biden and I say, you want me to vote for the $1.75 trillion bill along with the traditional infrastructure bill? Fine, I'll do it. But here are my demands. Here's a list of executive orders you need to sign in order for you to get my vote. Legalize marijuana effectively by changing it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 5, free every single federal nonviolent drug offender, uh, abolish all $1.73 trillion in student loan debt, pardon Julian Assange. list goes on and on. You should make a list of eight or ten demands. And you know what? Maybe you don't get all eight or ten, but if it gives you three, four, that's a win. You could say, yeah, these bills suck, but I also got all student loan debt eliminated. So nobody on the left could come after you in good faith and act like you didn't do a good job. You did everything you could. But this is not that. This is, and Mayor Pete, 
just made a big deal out of paid family leave. He just took paid family leave for like three months during the supply chain crisis, and he's Secretary of Transportation, and he was arguing for everybody's right to have it. And now he's out there saying, this bill that doesn't have it is the big deal. It's great. It's wonderful. Shut off, son. Shut off. Such a paid hack. There is no negotiated deal that could have come out where Mayor Pete would have said this is wrong. No deal. None. The bill could be $100 billion over 10 years, and he'd be like, this is transformational. Comparing it to the new deal. FDR's rolling over in his grave if you compare it to the new deal. There's not even any long-term permanent programs. The best we got in the bill is six years of universal pre-K. That's the best we got. There should be permanent programs in there. If the Democrats took, let's say, two programs and said we're going to do these in perpetuity, so we're going to do free community college for everybody and universal pre-K for everybody in perpetuity, and that bill comes out to over $2 trillion, I'd be arguing for it. I'd be on the side of it. But they didn't even do that. They did a little piecemeal approach. They stripped out some of the best provisions, did a little piecemeal approach, and that's it. And now, again, he's pissing on you and telling you it's raining. Don't buy the bullshit. All right, next. David Sirota went on CNN. I'm just as shocked as you are that they allowed David Sirota on CNN, given that his daily poster outlet is one of the best anti-corruption journalism outlets in the country. I mean, he follows this stuff like a hawk, and he really exposes our system of legalized bribery for what it is. So I'm surprised they allowed him on CNN, but here he is on CNN with Brian Stelter, and he's talking about a new podcast that he has coming out around issues like this involving the 2008 crash and everything that happened subsequently. Um, He really, really does a great job breaking down the problem if Democrats don't deliver on the Build Back Better agenda. Uh, I would love to hear your number one critique of how Biden and his social safety net bill and how his battle to get it through Congress, how it's being covered in the press. Your number one critique. My number one critique is that there hasn't been a lot of following of the money, that if you pay attention to the the conversation in the media, there hasn't been a lot of context about which industries are buying which politicians. You see the parties fighting with each other. You see the pieces of the Democratic coalition fighting with each other. But removed from much of the story is the fact that the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, is pumping a lot of money into this. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry is pumping a lot of money into this. Many of the members of Congress who are, who are trying to kill Democrats' uh, promised prescription drug plan, they have taken a huge amount of money from the pharmaceutical industry. So writing the money uh, behind the bill out of the story of the bill is a huge problem, and, and it doesn't give viewers and readers the context that they need. This relates to your new series, Meltdown, which you and Alice Gibney have done. I think it's important because it gives historical context to the last 12 years. You go back to the financial crisis and you say, a lot of what's happened since, Trump's election, it all is because of the financial meltdown 2008-2009. So how, do we, how can we infuse more historical context into today's news coverage? Well, look, I think on the, when you take the reconciliation bill that's in Congress right now, there's this baked-in idea that the Democrats have to basically pair back their promised agenda uh, in order to try to win the midterm elections. But, of course, if you go back to the 2009-2010 era, which we do in our podcast Meltdown, you take a look at the Democrats doing the same thing. At that point, it was on behalf of their Wall Street donors. They paired back uh, help for regular people. They did a huge bailout for, uh, for big bankers, uh, bankers. 
lawmakers who had created the problem unto itself, uh, and there was a huge backlash. Uh, the Democrats ended up getting shellacked. Those were the words of Barack Obama. They got shellacked in the elections in part because there was a lot of disillusionment from voters who, were, who said, they, look, we were promised help. We didn't get help. So if you fast forward to today, a lot of the media coverage is, is presumed that if Democrats need to pare back their agenda in order to appease so-called moderate voters. But in fact, the historical context says the exact opposite. He's 100 percent correct. He's 100 percent correct. Um, recently, Obama campaigned for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. And one of the points he made is, well, things are moving too fast for a lot of people. That's the opposite of the truth. Things are moving too slow for everybody, everybody, including conservative Republican voters. Because every election since um, Barack Obama, people voted for change. With the exception of Joe Biden, where I think people just had an anti-Trump vote, where he was so fucking insane and didn't deliver on any of his anti-establishment promises, um, Biden was like, the, holy shit, we've gone too astray. Let's just get back to normal. But the general sentiment among the population reflected in all the polls on the specific issues is, we need more change and we need it right now. Barack Obama's diagnosis of the situation is fundamentally conservative. Oh, things are moving too fast for a lot of people. Things are moving too fast for Republican voters. Things are moving too fast for independents. And even many Democrats, things are moving too fast. No, we just covered a poll the other day. The percentage of Americans who are supporting the, the unions currently striking, fi- fighting back against uh, employers and arguing for better benefits, better working conditions, and higher pay, that has the support of 87% of Democrats, I think 72% of independents, and 60% of Republicans. And that's just one example. When you poll the Build Back Better agenda and you just put the provisions of the bill, you even get a majority of Republican support for the various provisions, including paid family leave. So, again, he couldn't be more wrong. The problem isn't we're going too far, scale it back so that it's you know, more palatable to people. The problem is, if anything, you're not going far enough, but even with the things you're nominally proposing, um, you're not fighting for them and actually getting them uh, implemented. I made this point before on the show. In... 1938, after FDR had already been president for a while, Democrats held 80% of the House of Representatives, 80% of the Senate, and of course, FDR went on to win the presidency four times. This was before we had term limits. The message from that was, you gave Americans just a tiny taste of social democracy, and they were like, we're going to vote for this forever. Why? Because you're materially improving people's lives. So when you materially improve their lives, all of the culture war noise, the volume gets turned down big time. Now, there's always going to be, to some extent, disagreement on social issues. And to some extent, there's always going to be a culture war. But in times of great prosperity for all, xenophobia drops, bigotry drops, culture war obsession drops. And people realize, hey, I don't have it so bad after all. I have health care and it's not bankrupting me. I have a decent wage. You know, I'm not very up to my eyeballs in student debt, for example. So David Sirota is completely correct. And what's astonishing is this narrative is nowhere to be found in elite media. 
nor to be found. Credit to Brian Stelter for bringing on David Schroeder to make this case. But, yeah, that's the problem. The reason the Democrats got wiped out in the midterms under Obama was because Obama did too little, not too much. The change, it was just tweaks around the edges. The bailouts largely went to the top and screwed over regular people. If they did a bottom-up bailout and saved homeowners, the Democrats would not have gotten wiped out in the midterms. That's what people need to understand, that partisanship is only this vicious and this extreme when you're not materially delivering for people's well-being. Again, people think we're always going to be stuck in a roughly 50-50 situation with our elections. It'll go Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. It'll always be razor-thin margins. No, FDR proved that the opposite is true. Of course it's possible to you deliver for people, they will reward you and keep voting for you. This isn't rocket science. So David Schroeder's right. And the, the main scary part is this. So now with the agenda that's being negotiated, the Build Back Better bill, which went from the left wanted $10 trillion, then Bernie and Biden were like, okay, six. Then it went all the way down to 3.5 to appease the right-wing Democrats. Now we're talking about $1.75 trillion, And some of the best provisions were stripped out of that Build Back Better plan you are repeating the exact same mistakes of history. And so what David Sirota's point is, is don't be surprised when there's another Trump that rises up because this populist fervor and this anti-establishment sentiment is only going to get stronger and stronger. And if the population doesn't go populist left, they will go fake populist right. And so you could easily have another Trump, a demagogue who feigns support of working people and um, doesn't deliver materially on any of it, and could be a monster. Could even be that dirty F-word, fascist. So he's right to give everybody this warning. And everything that happened, looking at politics through the lens of the 2008 crash and the idea that we never recovered from it, and we've been managing all the downsides of that since then, I think that's a good, accurate framework. And I would just sprinkle in the Iraq War, too. Between the Iraq War and the 2008 crash, looking at politics through those lenses all the way through to today, I think is accurate. And so the idea is not at all that we've gone too far, we've got to reel it in. The idea is you're actually making it much worse for yourselves when you think you're making it better by doing the, we must appease the moderates and the right-wing Democrats. And really they're appeasing the corporations in the process because corruption leads them also to do these things. But they have the intellectual and ideological framework to fall back on of, I'm not just doing this for my donors. I'm doing this because this is what the country wants. The country wants these moderate solutions. No, they don't. No, they don't. They want real change, and they want it right now. When they voted for Obama, they voted for an FDR type. They didn't get it. And so buckle up, because we could easily get another Trump. Democrats can deliver us another Trump, or even just Trump himself again. But I don't know if that would be the case, because if Trump... If Trump himself wins again, he doesn't even have the veneer of the populism anymore. Now he's just all culture war grievance and personal narcissism. So, um, but you can get a different kind of Trump, a new kind of Trump who could be even worse. And I think David Schroed is correct. Everybody should check out his uh, new podcast series that talks about this. There's a narrative that should be discussed way more in, on powerful media outlets. Okay, next. All right, let me go to 
Let me see what's going on with my notes on this next one. Okay, here we go. Some new poll numbers came out about Biden and the Democrats in the state of the country, and it is beyond disastrous. It is horrendous. So first, let me tell you a little bit about this ABC News Ipsos poll. Get this. 55% of the public is following news about the Build Back Better negotiations, um, at least somewhat closely. About 7 in 10, so the exact number is 69% of Americans, said they know just some or little to nothing about what's in both of those bills. So they're somewhat following these negotiations, but they don't really know much of what's in the bills. Fewer than half, 31%, said they know a great deal or a good amount. 32% of Americans think the bills would hurt people like them if they became a law. Only 25% of people say the bills would help them. Only 25% say these bills would help them. Nearly 2 in 10, only 18%, think the bills would make no difference, and 24% said they didn't know. That's incredible. Now get this, the American public is evenly divided 34% to 34% over whether they believe these bills would help or hurt the U.S. economy if they became law. Understand something. We've covered previous polls on this Build Back Better agenda, on the reconciliation bill. And when you go provision by provision, every single provision is amazingly popular. When you ask people about child care, elder care, universal pre-K, free community college, low prescription drug prices, all the different provisions of the bill poll amazingly well. But I just told you, I just told you, 55% of the public, I'm sorry, 70% of the public, 69%, said they know just some or a little to nothing about what's in the bills. So that is a massive failure of not only the media, which it is a failure of the media, but also Democratic politicians. Democratic politicians have not educated the public about this. The media has not educated the public about this. So now only 25% of the public thinks that the original reconciliation bill would help them. When it is, a, it is an ironclad fact that that bill would help 90 to 95% of Americans. What a massive messaging failure and PR failure. Only 34 to 34, whether they believe this bill would help the U.S. economy, this would absolutely help the U.S. economy. So this is not supply-side economics, the right-wing nonsense idea. This is demand-side economics. This is giving people who need money and help some money and help, and that would reverberate throughout the U.S. economy. Now, listen, people say, well, is inflation an issue? It could be an issue, but the way you would handle that is to just tax the wealthy a lot. And so you're not flooding the entire economy with too much money. You're redistributing in the sense that you're giving people at the bottom and the middle goods and services and helping them out while also then in turn reducing the money supply by taxing the wealthy. So then that would be one way to handle any problems that might arise from inflation. And also you shouldn't be totally convinced that that's definitely going to be an issue. There's also supply chain issues that could uh, lead to you know, problems on that front. But that's all you have to do. 34 to 34, whether they believe the bills would help the U.S. economy, 
as if child care and elder care and universal pre-K and uh, free community college and lower drug prices, if that wouldn't help the economy, of course it would help the economy. They, it's a massive, massive, massive failure on behalf of the Democrats. Now it gets worse. It gets worse. So Joe Biden, uh, polls came out at the same time now on how Joe Biden is doing as president. Take a look at this. 54% disapprove of Biden job performance. 71% say the U.S. is heading in the wrong direction. So only 42% approve of Joe Biden's job performance. Let me explain something to you. Joe Biden and the Democrats are absolutely toast unless they materially deliver right now and then brag about it relentlessly and frame the debate on their terms. And of course, they're going in the wrong direction on that front. They're stripping the bill of more and more popular provisions. And um, that's what the news is now. Here's the good thing that's out. Here's the good thing that's out. Here's the good thing that's out. So paid family leave, out. Lower drug prices, out. Expanded Medicare coverage of dental and vision, out. Free community college, out. Increase in the top corporate tax rate, out. Increase in the billionaire tax, out. The Democrats have like a permanent, about a six-point disadvantage in the midterms because there was no voting rights reform bill. There was no end to gerrymandering. Um, So now they would need to win by six or more points nationally in order to just basically hold on to the numbers they have. And right now, they probably just lose even with the raw numbers. So they would get absolutely wiped out. It could be just like the Tea Party wave in 2010. And again, the reason is not because, oh, they did... They did too much, and that scared away voters. No, it's they did too little. They didn't do nearly enough. If Joe Biden wanted to save the Democrats at the last minute, number one, you should apply massive pressure to Manchin and Cinema, threaten Manchin's family with prosecution over the EpiPen scandal, which they were directly involved in, the price gouging. Threaten them with prosecution and say, look, Joe Manchin, maybe I won't prosecute you and your family, but... You have to vote for this $3.5 trillion bill. And if you do, then I'll look out for you. Then I'll be your best friend. Put another military base in West Virginia. Somebody in your family can come in my administration. Whatever you want. It can be your best friend or your worst enemy. You're going to choose. Put pressure on Manchin and Cinema to vote for the bill, but make it the entire $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. Now, on top of that, if Biden really wanted to save his ass and save his party's ass for the upcoming election and help save the country, this isn't just about politics, it's about policy, sign the executive order where you legalize marijuana uh, free all the nonviolent drug offenders, um, abolish all student loan debt, all $1.73 trillion of student loan debt. And then the other thing i do if I was Joe Biden is pass another stimulus, stimulus bill that's um, basically UBI checks. Pass more stimulus checks. Give people a $2,000 check before the election and have your name on it. Sort of like Trump wanted to do with his. If you do those things, then Democrats have a a chance. If they don't do those things, Democrats are going to get absolutely obliterated. I mean, so Joe Biden's popularity is absolutely plummeting. It's tanking. Why? Because COVID is still hurting the country massively. That's one thing. And the other thing is, when was the last time the Democrats delivered on something material for the people? The last round of stimulus checks, which was a while ago. So you're not helping out the people and COVID is still 
doing a number on the country. And then, so beyond that, you'd think, well, well, what's left? Fight to get this reconciliation bill through, but talk about the provisions and brag about the provisions. Make the media talk about the provisions. You know, th- this is all you have. But the media is not educating people on the provisions, and the Democrats are not talking about the provisions, in part because now they're stripping out, like, most of them. God damn it, man. What a disaster. What a disaster. Look, we know the way out. The way out is to pass the full $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, do another round of stimulus checks, and sign those executive orders. And even then, you'd have to brag about it nonstop until the election to really have a chance. So you need the stars to align for this, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So for the first time in a very long time, I have some good news for all of you lovely people out there, and it's as it pertains to the John Deere strike. So More Perfect Union says, breaking, UAW workers briefed on tentative agreement tell us John Deere is making concessions. Uh, about a 10% raise now, 5% in 23 and 25, 3% bonus in even years, $2,000 per year of work added to retirement, uh, $8,500 ratification bonus, and new workers can choose to keep a traditional retirement plan. So that's the tentative agreement the union, the UAW, reached with John Deere management. Now, um, is that good? The answer is absolutely. That is wonderful. But let me give you some more specifics on this. So what didn't make it into this negotiation and this compromise is There's a two-tier system of pay that was implemented in 1997. And basically the idea is if you work here pre-1997, you get to keep the benefits and all that stuff. But people after 1997, they get a much worse benefits package. Some get no benefits at all. Um, And so it's a two-tiered system. Some work pre-1997 workers and post-1997 workers. And to their unending credit, the pre-1997 workers are standing in solidarity with the post-1997 workers and basically saying, like, we want them to have the exact same benefits that we have. We don't like this two-tiered system. It pits workers against each other. So they didn't get that fully addressed in this bill, um, and that's what they call the white whale. Now, to be fair, they didn't think they would get it in this round of negotiations, but in time they might end up getting it. And the concessions that they did get, I mean, listen, I think they speak for themselves, and I think that if the union were to vote on this, they would vote to take this deal. Uh, so, but what, what does this show you? This shows you that workers standing in solidarity and striking and fighting back against, uh, you know, a vicious company, it can work. It can be fruitful. So John Deere made $5.7 billion in profits in 2021. $5.7 billion. At the same time, the company spent over $1.7 billion on stock buybacks, which is just a scam, and it used to be illegal. I think it was Reagan who made it legal. Um, and they paid out $761 million in dividends to shareholders. So workers were pissed about that. They were pissed that uh, the John Deere CEO named John May, he earned $16 million in his first year. They, he, excuse me. He earned $16 million, I think, last year. That's 220 times more 
than the median company salary of $70,743. Now, also, the year before that, he made $6 million. So he went from $6 million to $16 million, massive increase in pay for the CEO, and um, workers got hosed. And by the way, they say, all oh, the median salary is $70,743. That's very misleading because Jonah Furman, who's on the ground with these people and has been working close with them, they say they fudge the numbers to make it look like people are making more than they actually are. And there are plenty of these John Deere workers who make 30 k a year, 40 k a year. Um, so even with the numbers were originally given, there's a lot of fuzzy math that goes on around that. So the pro- but again, the, the only issue with this negotiation is it didn't revert back to the pre-1997 pension levels, uh, and it also didn't get retiree health care, which is another big issue that they care about. Um, having said all that, having said all that, they may vote for this compromise. And I mean, not for nothing, this shows you when workers stand in solidarity and they fight, they can win. And I'll tell you what, 10% raise now, 5% in 2023 and 2025, 3% bonus in even years, $2,000 per year of work added to retirement, 8.5,000 uh, ratification bonus, and new workers can choose to keep traditional retirement plan. Not too shabby, man. Not too shabby. So we'll see if they accept it. Um, and I think, I hope eventually they can get the main things that they're looking for, which is reverting back to pre-1997 pension levels and retiree health care. But... This should actually give you hope, man. It really should. It really should. Because this is what collective bargaining is about. And remember, there are some Scandinavian countries that basically have near universal unionization. And in those countries, they don't even have minimum wage law because they negotiate packages where people make even better than whatever any minimum wage would theoretically be. So, Man, if we had the PRO Act in this country, if we unionized the majority of the workforce, it would be a game changer. It would be a game changer. And I hope that happens. Solidarity to these workers and solidarity to all the workers who are out there striking now. There's been a a wave of protests and strikes. And um, I hope that we can get to some sort of compromise that's reasonable and fair for everybody. And their only way to do that is to keep the pressure on, keep striking, don't never cross a picket line and look down on those scabs who are just casually taking somebody else's job. So there you have it, a rare win that we're talking about on the Kyle Klinsky show. Okay. So the Supreme Court um, decided to hear a case that is devastating. In a world that made sense, there's no way they would hear this case. Now, before I continue, let me just say, how fucking dope is this thumbnail for this video? How dope is it? Uh, I have to give credit to Lilith, who does all the thumbnails now for the show. And um, she is phenomenally talented. And she's doing such a great job. And I know that everybody out there watching the videos saw the huge uptick in quality of the thumbnails, and that's all Lilith. So thank you, Lilith, for all the great work you do. And um, it has really, really added another level to uh, the show that wasn't there before. And, you know, it's just, it's it's wonderful. So anyway, I think that this is one of the best thumbnails, in my opinion. But I digress. 
So thank you, Lilith. The Supreme Court, well, let me just throw the tweet up and we'll talk about it. Breaking, Supreme Court agrees to consider limiting EPA's authority to curb greenhouse gases from power plants. We'll hear Republican appeals from coal mining companies and Republican-led states. By the way, Amy Coney Barrett's dad works for, I think, an oil company. And she's not going to recuse herself. I mean, beyond ridiculous, right? Beyond ridiculous. This would be really the death blow in the barely existent fight against climate change. The fact that they're even hearing this case in the first place leads me to believe they're going to come down on the side of the EPA doesn't have the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. And they will use an archaic, primitive, outdated interpretation of the Constitution and what an executive agency can do on their own. So in other words, they're gonna, they are possibly going to make the decision and make the argument that, oh, something like this would need to go through Congress in order for it to be legal. Now, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is staffed with environmental experts and scientists and people who are incredibly educated on this topic. And so they, you know, can implement rules and regulations and deliver on those rules and regulations in a way that Chuck Grassley cannot, you know, whether it's in the House or in the Senate, you got Republicans who go in there carrying snowballs and throwing them on the ground and saying, see, climate change isn't real. The, the Supreme Court might say, no, 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 this is an overreach of federal authority. An executive agency can't regulate stuff on their own. Therefore, it absolutely has to go through Congress. And the executive agencies don't have the authority to do uh, regulations solely on their own. And again, if that is the decision they make, we are so beyond fucked. So beyond fucked. I mean, we're already, I don't know if you guys saw this, but at one of these summits of all the, all the world leaders, they got together, they flipped a coin, they flipped a coin hoping for good luck in the fight against climate change. I couldn't, couldn't make this up if I tried. And there was a picture posted on social media over it and stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, we're so beyond fucks. And now the new agreement is, you know, by the mid-century, we're going to try to get to, I guess, net zero emissions. Already way too far gone. It's almost like it's a show. It's theater. And they have no intent on even delivering on their meager goals. So while the global community is shrugging and struggling and doing nothing, nothing serious and substantive, now they might take away the little power that executive agencies in the U.S. have to regulate big business here. And if this were to happen, and if I had to guess at this point, I'd say they probably will decide the EPA can't, doesn't have the authority to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Um, th- we're effectively in a new Lochner era of the Supreme Court. I know that sounds wonky, but bear with me and I'll explain it to you. The Lochner era of the court was from about, about 1900 to 1937, and it was the New Deal that really shifted the balance of power and, and changed the direction of the Supreme Court. But during the Lochner era, the Supreme Court played a, an activist role, 
but it was a, from a politically conservative position. So they're conservative ideologues, but they, you know, intervened in the legislative process and basically enforced their will. So the court would strike down state and federal legislation that was too hard on business or limited the free market. And so, for example, they would say, hey, a minimum wage law is unconstitutional. Um, Federal child labor laws are unconstitutional. Regulations on uh, the financial industry or on banking, it's unconstitutional. And what happened is the Lochner era ended when um, Congress intervened with the New Deal and reasserted like a, a regulatory role. But the, the story behind the case is it was Lochner versus New York State and there was a law that limited uh, a bakery from giving their employers, forcing their employers to work too long. So there was a law that said workers are limited to 10 hours per day and 60 hours per week. You can't work them more than that because these workers at this bakery were basically forced to work overtime and they didn't want to do it, but they were compelled to do it. And a five-judge majority said the law violated the due process clause and they stated that the law was, quote, an unreasonable, unnecessary, and arbitrary interference with the right and liberty of the individual to contract. So the takeaway from this is they said businesses have a right to contract with their employees. So whatever details you iron out in your contract with a business that you work for, that's ironclad, that's gospel, and the federal government can't intervene and say, we have regulations and this isn't a fair contract. So, again, the law said, hey, these people at the bakery are overworked. They're working, you know, 13-hour days or whatever, but we're going to have a law that says you can work 10 hours a day max, 60 hours um, maximum for a week. The Supreme Court said, no, if they want them working 80 hours a week, then they can work 80 hours a week. So, in other words, you're basically a slave to the business owner. And if they craft a contract that is exploitative and you happen to agree to it simply because you need a job and you need to pay the bills, that exploitative contract has force of law. And so if the federal government says, you don't pay them enough, here's a minimum wage law, under the Lochner era, the Supreme Court would be like, no, they agreed to work for basically next to nothing and they agreed to work weigh all these hours and the federal government can piss off. You can't have overtime laws and rules. You can't have limits on the amount of time you work per week. You can't have a uh, minimum wage and sorry, it is what it is. Basically all the empl employees are subject to the whims of the employer and the employer could say, Hey, you signed the contract. Even if it's exploitative, that contract is solid as a rock and that contract has force of law. So it was a terrible era and the Supreme court, were the ones who fostered that on the country. Now, listen, we're getting to a point now with the Supreme Court today where if they decide the EPA can't regulate greenhouse gas emissions, we're getting to like Dred Scott territory where the, the court can lose legitimacy. And I don't think we're too far away from a, a place like that. So they're gonna need, need to tread carefully in their own respect, lest we, lest they destroy their own credibility and they make themselves politically moot 
because they just they take such insane positions that you can't possibly in the modern era defend them and the practical results of it would be too horrendous. So I don't know how this is going to unfold, but the idea that they might block the EPA from regulating greenhouse gas emissions is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And that might be what's on the way. So prepare yourself, but we're in a deep hole and we're going to have to start digging out of it or it's game, set, match on life. All right, final story of the day. So there are striking mine workers in Alabama, and um, they've been at it for a while. And now we just got the news that a judge effectively banned their right to free speech. So look at this. A striking miner in Alabama just posted that a judge has now forbidden all pickets in the Warrior Met coal strike. Strikers are being told to get off the picket line by 5 p.m. or they'll be arrested. So your right to protest, your right to free speech, out the window when it comes to working for a business. So this is from labor reporter Kim Kelly. She says, over 1,100 coal miners at Warrior Met Coal in Brookwood, Alabama, have been out since April 1st on an unfair labor practices strike. Their seven long months on the picket lines have been hard on the miners as well as their families, and that hard slog has been punctuated by terrifying bursts of company violence. Multiple strikers and a striker's wife have been struck by cars and trucks driven by company employees while walking the picket lines. Several of them have been hospitalized, and others are still dealing with the after effects. These vehicular attacks have been documented by the union and in the media, but have attracted very little attention outside of the labor press. Even local news stations have ignored the ongoing pattern of vehicular violence on the picket lines and paid little notice to the strike itself until this week, that is. Over the past several days, local news outlets in and around the Birmingham area have suddenly started showing up on the picket lines to document a reported upswing in violence. What they're looking for is violence from the workers not those who have been attacking them for the past seven months. It's part of a new PR strategy by the firm uh, Citric and Company, who appear to have been hired by Warrior Met to boost the company's image and neutralize the opposition, as the firm phrases it on the labor issue section of its website. So what's going on here is now the company and their PR firm and local media are trying to demonize and smear the workers as unhinged, violent lunatics, even though the violence has been going in the other direction for months now. And now they also have the judicial system on their side because they're basically banning the right to free speech of these minors. This is absolutely ludicrous. It's insane. And my, the thing I can't get out of my mind as we talk about this important issue is, Where the hell are all the so-called free speech warriors? There are very few, if any, real consistent voices on this front. It's easy to pick a culture war issue and defend somebody from the woke mob, defend somebody to speak on a college campus or something like that. But here you have the intersection of free speech rights, the principle of freedom of speech and freedom to protest, You have the intersection of that with labor issues and big business and corruption and all the people who claim like this is their main value, the thing they care about the most, 
I haven't heard anybody say anything about this. I haven't seen a single thing in the media. Credit to these labor reporters like Kim Kelly, who are doing phenomenal work. Jonah Furman also does amazing work. Credit to these people for covering this. But why are they the only ones covering it? Mainstream media doesn't cover it. And if they do cover it, they hop in on the wrong side of it. Uh, The local news now is doing the bidding of the PR firm and management and portraying the workers negatively and smearing them. Here we have, this should be an issue right up everybody's alley. If you care about workers, you should be talking about this. But even if you just care about free speech, you should be talking about this. This is the principle of free speech and freedom to protest here. How can you have a judge say, striking workers, just trying to get a decent wage and better benefits and not get screwed by their employer? You're not allowed to pick it right now, because I say so. How does that make sense? How does that make sense? Look, I mean, call it what it is. In my mind, it only makes sense if the judge has a stake in the game. And the judge probably has a stake in the game. I mean, it's like what happened with Donziger and Judge Preska, who's now been called the 1%'s favorite judge. I mean, you know, probably swimming in cash from Chevron and other big business interests, part of the Federalist Society, and taking out personal grudge on Donziger and being phenomenally corrupt, and nobody cares or says anything. So we have a judicial branch that's bought. We have a media that's smearing the workers. But we have workers who are downtrodden, left behind, not paid a fair wage, and are protesting, and now they don't even have their free speech rights. Where is everybody? Where's the defense of these workers? Where is it? Listen, shit, I want to challenge everybody out there. If you're a writer, write about it. If you're in left media, fucking cover it. If you know somebody who knows somebody who works at one of the big networks, bring it up. Businesses could just take away your free speech rights and you have no recourse. I mean, that really goes to show you exactly what Noam Chomsky said, which is, yeah, on paper, we're a political democracy. But when you go to the workplace, it's a dictatorship. It's a tyranny. People at the top are your overlords, and you have to abide by them. You have to abide by the emperor manager and what they say, and then, you know, the owner. You have to abide by what they say, and you have no recourse. And now you have a situation where a union and workers are fighting for their rights and fighting for better pay, and they're blocked from even speaking their mind or striking. I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not an expert in labor law, but this strikes me. Obviously, it should be illegal, but is it actually illegal? I don't know, but perhaps... Some lawyer who is an expert on labor issues should look into this because it strikes me that this goes too far, even for our insane, dictatorial, tyrannical economic system where you have to fall in line for your overlord boss. So solidarity with these workers, and I hope they get their free speech rights back. I hope they have the right to protest. I hope that they can continue the strike, and I hope they get a fair contract. And this isn't getting the coverage it should, and it's like that on purpose. It's like that on purpose. We need a whole new wave of unions and strikes to get us back on any semblance of a reasonable footing when it comes to this modern-day economy because income and wealth inequality is way out of whack. The good news is the John Deere uh, protesters, strikers, just got a decent contract out of it. So collective bargaining worked. What I would say to the warrior met coal miners is stay strong, stay strong, fight on, and hopefully, eventually, 
will get some more eyeballs on this. There will be more pressure, and um, you guys can win a fair contract as well. But the entire system being biased against them is an outrage. These people have free speech rights, too, and they should be upheld. And any corrupt court decision, in my opinion, should be totally ignored. And you know what? Hey, maybe some of you end up in jail for a little bit. Then maybe you'll get some more national eyebrows, but uh, eyebrows, eyeballs. But I, I wouldn't hold my breath because to this point, most of the coverage has been abysmal. All right, guys. I love you, baby. Everybody have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. I'm out. Peace. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.